and welcome to the 13th Hour Podcast. This is episode number 383. I'm your host, Joshua Blum. Got a couple things to talk about today. There's some stuff that we're going to be covering at the end, which is a little bit more uh, related to some stuff I'm making, and then a few updates. So I guess some first things first. The first thing, actually, is if you heard the episode uh, a number of, well, earlier this fall, a number of weeks ago uh, with Billy Campbell, uh, aka The Rocketeer, among other things, um, he talked about being in a movie. It was a Norwegian movie called Troll, and it uh, just came out um, maybe about less than two weeks ago, I think December 1st. It's on Netflix, and I got a chance to watch it. And I, I really liked it. I, I, uh, he, when he talked about it, he described it as sort of like, you know, a troll comes alive, which is basically exactly what it is. And I guess it's pulling from basically Nordic um, mythology where trolls um, feature heavily. I don't know a whole lot about, about that. I mean, uh, but uh, I guess if you've seen the movie Frozen, you know, there's little trolls in there. Um, if you've ever read any North mythology, they feature in there as well. Of course, if you were uh, if you're a member of the Patreon, um, the last little D and D thing we did in the world of the Thirteenth Hour, I included these uh, characters called Rock Biters. It's an ode to the Neverending Story. Of course, there's a rock biter in there. Um, without actually having any knowledge of this particular film, it's kind of like what it is. It's like a, a big creature that's made out of rock that can move around. And, uh, you know, it's not so easy to, uh, to take something like that down. So that's basically the premise of the film is that a troll comes alive. Well, it's sort of, yeah, I guess it comes alive. It's, it, I don't know if it was ever really dead. It was sort of like dormant, I guess. It comes alive when they're doing some mining stuff. Um, and, uh, it starts to terrorize, uh, aspects of Norway, like, like tries to, you know, walk through Oslo and, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun movie. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not usually a big fan of like disaster movies, which I don't really know if you would classify this as it's kind of like King Kong or Godzilla, I guess you could say. I mean, it's pretty much like that. If you've seen that, you kind of know what to expect. And, uh, Billy Campbell plays a paleontologist. And I thought what was a really nice um, ode to it because he's just in the really in the beginning uh, and he's got some funny lines in there. I'll see if I can get some video clips of him or just take some pictures or whatever, um, is that his last name is Secord, <laughs> which you if you remember from the Rocketeer, Cliff Secord. Actually, his name is Dr. David Secord, which is really interesting since in the Rocketeer cartoon, that came out in 2019, he voices a character named Dave Secord. And so, which is uh, in, in the mythos of the um, cartoon, at least, is the grandfather, or no, grandson, rather, of the original Rocketeer, Cliff Secord. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if they threw that in just as coincidence. Um, I like to think that they maybe did that as a kind of a, a little Easter egg Um but it's a fun role, um, and it's a fun movie. And uh, it, some of the reviews, because uh, I sometimes look up these things after the fact, you know, like an IMDb or whatever, um, are even funnier. I mean, I'm not really sure what people were expecting, um, but they are absolutely hilarious. 
uh, you know, I, there's a number of people who, who it seems to be a movie that people either love or hate. Um, if you like movies like Jurassic Park and Godzilla, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, you kind of know what to expect. And a lot of people like, oh, yeah, if you like those, you'll like this, you know, you know, the effects are great and it's fast paced and that sort of thing. Um, just as an FYI, uh, for some people, they don't like to read subtitles. And uh, if you do want to watch it without subtitles, there is an English version that I think plays by default on the English Netflix. Um, I watched it in the original Norwegian. I just, I don't, I, I kind of like to um, see the film in the original language if I can. So I'm not 100% sure how the English one holds up. Uh, sometimes dubs are great and sometimes they're not. And um, uh, Billy Campbell's lines are obviously in English anyway, but, um, and uh, there are some English parts of, like English spoken parts of it. But uh, I watched it in the original. Um, so, but I was, I will say that if you haven't, if that's a, a if that's a, a sticking point, I would say, you know, um, all I would say is like, hey, give it, give, give languages that are not necessarily in your native tongue a chance, um, because you may find that, uh, you know, you never know. Uh, and as a, I guess, an aside, I often will watch films with the English, like closed captioning or subtitles anyway, just because sometimes you can't always hear what they say. Uh, the volume is really low, or they say things really like under their breath or whatever, just like in everyday conversation. And that's kind of like a nice thing to be able to hear. I, I know there's plenty of lines in The Rocketeer that I I misinterpreted uh, for years and years and years until I actually saw it with the subtitles on. I was like, oh, that's what they're actually saying. And I, I sort of still hear what I originally thought I heard in uh, in my head sometimes when I rewatch the movie. That's he, neither here nor there. But um, anyway, subtitles, you know, not necessarily something to be feared. I just, you know, I just, I just uh, um, I, I happen to pull it up. Uh, this is, I think, Google, and you can, you can look at the reviews here. I mean, I don't know. Th- I just <laughs> I thought I'd read this one. This guy, um, Huang Lo, says, very disappointing. The gender issues of trolls and fantasy in, in fiction is a topic that is completely ignored. Clearly a missed opportunity. Once again, the people from Northern Europe claim they're number one when it comes to inclusion and diversity, yet I still have to suffer the sight of white people and their non-mixed non-binary heteronormative relationships in every single movie. What about the black trolls, trans trolls? It doesn't seem to matter. A woman prime minister is a step in the good direction, but when are we going to finally acknowledge the vibrant contribution the Somalis have brought to the North? To me, this movie is another cis, white, supremacist propaganda attempt. Don't get fooled. The hidden messages are clear. Jesus Christ, man. I mean, it's a... Okay, yeah. Point taken. Um, but I, I may be reading a little bit into uh, uh, a lot into a, <laughs> into a movie that I think is supposed to be sort of more like, you know, popcorn. Um, this guy uh, says, oh dear, some movies that cannot get away from terrible scenarios, unable to decide if it's made for children or adults, still manage to impose the human greatness superiority over nature while skimming over environmental issues. Um, the film will do better in the 1960s than the 21st century. Um, I don't know. I, this guy says this as uh, the SFX, the sound... I guess he means like special features, maybe, are incredibly poor. I thought they were actually really good. I don't know, um, but I, I. So some of these reviews are like uh, they're they're very much like um, you know ones or fives, and there's some that are kind of in the middle. Uh, but I have to say, I I uh, I liked it. Um, I don't think anybody's. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. I, I I'm just gonna say certainly when I watched watch a movie like this. 
Um, I'm, I'm not looking for anything serious, really. <laughs> oh, I, oh, th- all right, this one I have to read. This says, this movie mocked Christianity to the core. It might be a legend, but at least don't overdo the reference. Okay, all right, well, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I have to say I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, the little bit about the, um, with the little Rocketeer reference, I thought was was a nice one. So uh, it, it's a fun one to check out and you can, you can watch it on, on Netflix. Uh, I'm not sure if you can watch it at other, on other places uh, because I think it was actually a Netflix made movie, uh, which is kind of cool that they are, not only that they're making, this might be news to, may not be news to other people, um, but that they're making films now, not just series, which both of which are pretty cool that they're able to able to do that. So, so I liked it, uh, and I think it's a fun one if you like that sort of film. Uh, the other one, there's another one actually, and this is also an uh, a Rocketeer sort of reference thing. Um, this has been something that's been worked, been working, been uh, people have been working on for a long time. Um, it's a documentary about Dave Stevens, who is, of course, the creator of The Rocketeer. And this also recently just came out. It just dropped um, fairly recently. Uh, I think, I want to say, in the last couple of weeks. Um, they, it's called Dave Stevens Drawn to Perfection. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long, um, filled with a lot of great footage uh, and lots of famous people. If you know stuff about comic books, which I can't really say I do, um, there's a lot of famous comic book people uh, in there. Um, Dave Stevens, unfortunately, is not alive anymore, um, but they did manage to find a lot of footage of him uh, from when he was, including a lot of pictures and, and home, I don't know if they're home movies, but there were interviews um, with him, maybe some home movies too, from when he was pretty young. Um, and so uh, there's just a lot of great stuff. If you If you like... If you know stuff about comic books, I think you'll probably even get you get even a lot more out of out of uh, the documentary just because you'll recognize a lot of people there. The only person I I kind of knew as a like a comic book person is Bruce Tim, last name T I M M. He um, I think he was involved with the Batman animated series, if I recall. I don't know if he was the the main animator. I know I know when my brother was really he still is obviously really into Batman. When he was little, um, we had some of the comic books that went along with the Batman animated series, and they were drawn by him. He has a very distinctive style, and I was interested to know, uh, to learn that he worked for Dave Stevens and worked with him uh, for a while. So one of the things that uh, Dave Stevens did, um, because he was very meticulous in how he did stuff, and you kind of learn into more about that. I mean, even the title alludes to that drawn to perfection definitely a perfectionist, I think, when he would do his thing, that we talk about that a little bit. But he, um, it meant that he, uh, he, he would take a long time for him to do, th- do things. And he was often doing, I think, between other jobs and because comics, you know, it doesn't really pay. It's something that's, that's very time-consuming, but yet it costs very little. You know, uh, a comic book, you know, when I was a kid, was uh, 2 or $3. I mean, it's gone up in price a little bit, but it doesn't in any way reflect the amount of work that goes into it. And I think, you know, he was not of the, let's just dash something out, you know, slapdash, uh, you know, sort of, sort of that, that frame of thinking. Um, he was like, I'm going to make it as good as I can make it. Uh, and other people would kind of look at it and say, like, what's well, fine, you know, just, just, just release it already. And he'd be like, no, it's not quite right. 
So uh, I think that that is highlighted a lot in in the documentary, but that's also kind of what made made it so uh, so special in a way, right? Because if you look at particularly the way that um, the comics are, if you see them in black and white, there's he would he would do sketches first, um, sometimes using himself or other people as models. I think often drawing himself, you know, uh, and he looks a lot like Cliff uh, Cliff Secord in the comic book because he was drawing himself basically. And, um, so he was, uh, you know, he would, he would do that part, but then he would ink it, meaning like he would highlight, uh, the outlines with, um, a, a, you know, a brush, fine tip brush. I think most of the time, I don't know if he used pen, but I think he would actually ink it, you know, so it, and it, it would look, the lines and things like that are really, um, I think you could get that much control with a brush. Uh, is really um, amazing. When you see it in an actual comic book, like the, because the paper is just, you know, in a comic book, especially then, is, is, it's just not very good. And then the printing and everything like that, the colors are off. And uh, so if you look at the original ones of the Rocketeer, they're not as vibrant, I think, as they could be. And I think he, he had to come to terms with that. There are some re-released versions of the Rocketeer where it's been totally recolored, and um, he was, you know, involved with with that uh, to some degree, at least sort of on a on a top down level. Uh, the woman who did it, oh, what is her name? Laura something or other. Laura Adams. What what is her name? Oh, I have the Rocketeer, um, one of the one of the re released volumes right here. And what they ended up having to do is go back to the beginning. And basically, you know, from the the original, the original prints, I guess, and they basically, she would color them digitally. And let me see if I can find it. Uh, let's see here. A lot of these people, Laura Martin, that's her name, and they did the lettering again. Um, so the the film was directed by Kelvin Mao. He uh, he, I think he was involved with the creation of at least one of these. Uh, Rocketeer, like this is the the Rocketeer Deluxe Complete Adventures, and it has the full um, Rocketeer comic, plus a whole bunch of other stuff, sketches and so forth that um, Dave had done. So it's just a really cool um, picture or de the depiction documentary of his life and his work. And uh, there is a a little reading that uh, Billy Campbell does at the end of it from his uh, one of Dave's uh, journal entries. And it, and it gets at this idea of trying to create something in your, that you see in your mind's eye and translating it into an actual tangible physical thing. There's just something I, I happened to find on eBay the other day. And every now and then I'll kind of like, Google or like, you know, Google or go into eBay and type like Rocketeer and see, see what comes up. Um, so this was a, I guess it's not really a comic book. I'm not really sure what it is. It's like a little magazine, but in a comic format called Amazing Heroes. It's from 1983, December 15th, 1983. It's crazy to think that that's almost 40 years ago. But um, so this just it has an interview with Dave Stevens and a number of sketches and stuff like that. And and then the, the question is, in, in this interview, is do fans complain how slowly you work? 
And what Dave Stevens says is, he says, I'll read it to you. Oh yeah, it doesn't bother me because I'm not doing it for their feeding schedule. I mean, I'm doing it for them in one sense, but when it comes right down to it, I'm doing it for me and me alone because the bottom line is that I have to be happy with it. And so the interviewer says, how long does it uh, take for you realistically to pencil and ink a page that you're satisfied with? And he says, well, it varies. It depends on what it's on. Some pages can take a week. Oh, wait, just for a single page? Give us an example. And he says, well, there was one in this last story where I had a lot of action and ended up having to cram a whole lot of panels into one page. And that takes a lot longer. It was a streetcar page. Originally, that was two pages, but I had to cram them into one page in order to get that surprise page following. And if I didn't really have the room to waste a whole page on one figure. I felt the effect was needed. Because originally, Betty, exposed there in the doorway, was at the bottom half the reaction page. Um, and then the interviewer says, well, I thought that reaction page really worked. Steven says, it works now because I had to chop it and put it on the opposite page so you couldn't see what uh, they're seeing. But if I kept it where it was, it would have been blown and there would have been no surprise. I kept people screaming for more Betty. So he's, he's referring to um, the Rocketeer's girlfriend who was also modeled on Betty Page. And... Um, who was a pinup queen uh, from the like the fifties and sixties? By the time Dave Stevens was drawing the comic, he didn't actually he didn't realize that she was actually still alive. Now that may seem weird in for today to realize. That, you know, it, it's so much easier to find stuff and find people, but at the time in the early eighties, it obviously was not. And he actually eventually tracked her down. Um, I don't know how exactly. The documentary doesn't say. Or maybe it just happened accidentally and became friends with her um, and helped her out quite a bit. I, I think by that point in her life, she'd had a rough life, I think, um, in her later years. Uh, and, um, and you know, just befriended her and helped her get, uh, you know, like residuals and, and, and stuff like that from people who are still earning money off of her likeness. Um, so... That's, uh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, uh, it's not just about the Rocketeer. It's about, um, many of his works of the Rocketeer, of course, is probably his most well-known, uh, thing because, uh, it's an actual comic book. But, uh, if you check that out and you can find it on a number of different places, I believe I, I bought it on Amazon. Um, you can scream it off there, but I think you can find it on places like YouTube and, um, I, iTunes or Apple, Apple, whatever they call it, Google Play, all these other ones like that. So it's a, it's a cool little thing. I'll try to stick in a, like a clip of the trailer or something like that in there, links to where you can find it. Highly recommend it if you're at all interested in this topic. The, the next thing is just a total, uh, I don't exactly know how I found this. Was, this happened um, totally by accident. Um, I, maybe it was through one of these. Um, because I, I probably was originally looking for Dave Stevens uh, when I when I um, I knew when I found out the movie had come out because I think I had supported it on Kickstarter. So so if you support it on Kickstarter, you could you could get like a physical copy of it, which I think I I I think I will get at some point. Although I don't know if I can actually play it because I don't have a Blu-ray player. <laughs> but I think there's actually a comic that was actually drawn for it, and I I I thought that that would be cool. So. But I wanted to support it anyway, and um, 
Uh, so I don't know if all that stuff has been released, but the, you can stream it. Anyway, uh, I was looking for um, stuff on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. There's, and there's quite a bit. There's interviews with Dave and stuff like that on YouTube. You can find them. But I found this movie, um, and I started watching a little bits of it. It's called, it also has Billy Campbell in it, and it, it, that's probably how I found it, is because, you know, when you, when you watch something on YouTube, it, it'll send you to other stuff. Uh, and it's called Max Q. It's from 1998. Uh, and, uh, so a couple of years, like whatever, seven, seven years after the Rocketeer. But anyway, he plays an astronaut and the whole thing is about, about a group of astronauts that are launched into space to release a, a satellite. I haven't finished yet. I got through about 20 minutes of it. Um, just, just now actually, I just discovered it. And, uh, but, uh, it's about, you know, one of those stories, how they get back. Uh, I liked, I really like it. It's, it's, I think it was like a TV movie, I want to say. But uh, I, I quite liked it. The, the storyline is a shuttle is launched into space to release a new satellite. When an explosion occurs, the crew has to think of a way to get, get back to Earth without atmospheric pressure. I guess that's the part that refers to the Max-Q crushing the damaged uh, shuttle. Someone who understands aerospace stuff will probably um, be able to explain what Max-Q is. I think it's like the point at which the um, an aircraft, uh, like it's the maximum difference between the the propel the propelled force, I guess, like the, in this case, is the rockets pushing upwards and the outside or ambient or like atmospheric pressure, I guess. So as you go higher, there's obviously going to be a less pressure, right? So I, I think it's like at a certain point, you kind of cut your like in the they don't I guess they don't even use the space shuttle anymore. Anyway, when they did use the space shuttle, there was like a a humongous like orange fuel tank. Uh, in the Columbia shuttle, it was it was white, but in the, in the later ones, this one is Endeavor. It was orange, and that was the fuel tank for the main rocket uh, or the main shuttle engines. And then during liftoff, um, it would be firing, uh, and you had it was also helped by these two solid rocket um, boosters on the side, which would get jettisoned about two minutes into the flight, if I recall correctly. Um, but anyway, uh, that fuel would get used up basically in the process of escaping the Earth's gravity. And then uh, you would lose, you would jettison the tank uh, at, at some point. And I think that happens after the SRBs get jettisoned. I, I think that's correct. Um, and then you rely on those engines, uh, there's three of them uh, on the shuttle, to push you the remaining altitude into space. And But at some point, you don't need to quite throttle, keep the throttle on, I mean, because the, you know, the atmospheric pressures are less. I think that's what Max Q means. Someone who understands all that stuff better can probably explain that in a more accurate way. But anyways, it's a cool movie and it's on YouTube. Someone actually divided it up into like, I think like eight, 10 minute parts or something like that. Yeah, and then they uploaded it, some kind soul. It's hard to, you know, I don't even know like this particular movie, I don't even know where you would go to watch it. Uh, I have no idea. Like some of these things, especially if it's like a something that was never released in any way. Like I have no idea how you would, how you would go see it unless you happen to tape it. It's kind of, it's really cool that people have done that. So thank you, kind souls who do that. This, this is a, um, the person who produced it, I think, I want to say the, not the director. Yeah, it's the producer is Jerry Bruckheimer, who you may know from all those action films. Like, uh, what's that one? Uh, there's another one where they go into space and there's a disaster one. I don't know. They, they're, they're all kind of, they're very similar. They're like, um, you know, sort of like big action movies, disaster kind of stuff. Like, uh, 
Jerry Bruckheimer films. Let me see. Let me just see. Like, oh, well, top, the new Top Gun was it? Was it the old Top Gun one? I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, this was one of the earlier ones, I think. Uh, but like the Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Bad Bad Boys Four. I didn't even know there was a four. I didn't even know there was a three. There's a, been a bunch, you know, sort of like National Treasures with Nicolas Cage. Gone in sixty seconds is not the one I was thinking of, but Pearl Harbor. This is another one. Uh, oh, yeah, Armageddon. That's what. I, yeah, it, actually, that was the same year. But anyway, it's it's like you know that it's that kind of movie, but to a lesser degree, and I think a more reasonable degree. So far, at least, I don't know. They, they haven't gone full like uh, out in left field yet. I mean, the shuttle just got launched. So at the point when I saw it. So anyway, I'll put a link to that as well. Check it out. I uh, it, It's kind of like uh, if you grew up watching movies like Space Camp, like I did, you know, then <laughs> you probably will enjoy this one, at least from what I know so far. Um, so those are a couple of just little updates. I, I thought uh, we'd do a couple of creative things. Um, while we're at it, I just one thing I've been working on. Um, I was last it, last year. Uh, I I was gifted an an airbrush. Actually, my dad got it for me, and I've used it a bunch uh, with my kids to paint a few things. Just kind of learning how to use it, but I didn't have any paint specifically for it. I just used um, basically thinned down like acrylic paint, which you can totally use. But I figured like wait a second, you know, airbrushes get used for all kinds of things. Why don't I try using it to paint some of these figures that I've been, I've been doing by hand? It's a very tedious process. Maybe it would speed up the process. Maybe it would make it a little bit, I don't know, more enjoyable. I'm not a huge fan of painting uh, things like that. You know, some people really love that kind of stuff. I like the creation of it. I like the sculpting part of it. The painting part of it I find to be kind of tedious. So I I have at these at this point I have about ten of these Rocketeer figures that um, that I've made and the, they're three and three quarter inches tall. They have five points of articulation, hips, you know, two hips, two shoulders, and head. The knees don't bend, the elbows don't bend. The only other thing is uh, it'll have a they'll have a little holster which you can pull out a pistol from, but. Uh, and it you know it'll fit in the fit in his hand, but uh, that's that's about it. And the rocket pack is is will be basically glued on. So I figured I would paint these. Now I primed them basically and uh, already. Uh, that's the process of putting a layer on so the paint sticks better. I'm not necessarily sure you necessarily need to do that, but I've done that with other things, and I think that helps just to put a base layer down. If nothing else, it means you often need to use less paint because um, the first layer is always going to be something that is um, is not the final layer. So I've done a bunch of these, and I thought that um, I would continue doing this this particular technique for uh, for this. It's um, getting using an airbrush is. Uh, I initially think it had to, had to be done outside. It probably is easiest outside, but I'm actually doing it inside. I, I do wear a mask. It's like I kind of wear, you know, protect against respiratory viruses. And I have a pair of gloves because it can be a bit messy. I'm doing this inside a, a cardboard box. But uh, I'm not sure necessarily that th this is just water-based paint. It is getting, it's a fairly focused little stream. It's not getting everywhere. So I initially thought it would be a lot messier than it would be. So I before I'd always done this outside, uh, in like a garage. But uh, it's winter time here. It's really not convenient or um, comfortable to do it there, and the paint dries a lot differently. So 
right now, like for example, it's snowing and that affects how quickly this stuff will dry because of the humidity. So, and then in, during the summertime I was doing it, stuff would take longer to dry there too because of the humidity. So I'm doing it in a basement and uh, it's so far it's worked pretty well. Uh, the kind I, the model I have has a little air tank on it that you fill up and then um, you use the pressure in the air tank to, uh, you know, to basically spray on the, the paint and you have a little reservoir where you will load the paint in and then quite a little bit uh, goes a long way. And so, so far I've done a couple of things. I've uh, used the, the color red to do the Rocketeers uh, jacket. And so far that's what I've been doing. Um, I'll have to put in the fine details later and I'll probably do that by hand. The next piece would be to do the legs. And I probably will do that with, I, I have some, I actually got some sprung for some actual paints here. There's some beige colors which I think I'll use for um, for his legs, uh, you know, his pants, basically. I think the helmet and everything like that, I don't know if there's a gold, uh, but I, I can, that I can easily do with spray paint or something like that uh, with gold, or uh, I can do that by hand. That's easy enough to do. And then, of course, the pack itself is silver, and that I could, again, I could do that with spray paint or... Well, there actually, I think there actually is a silver here. So I'm curious to see how that works. If that, if that works easier, I'll just use that. So... That that's a, a little interesting update. I'll post a little clip where I was 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 doing that. If you can kind of see it, it's in. It, there's not really a whole lot to hear other than well, actually I can turn it on. Let's see. You can hear in the background. This is the air tank filling up, and then what you'll hear, and it takes a while for it to get to a place where it is full, and you can turn it off at any point. But then. It's basically just a hose and a trigger where you'll release the, uh, allows you to release the pressure slowly. So it's a pretty simple piece of machinery actually, but what you're paying for, of course, is the, the, the pump, the, the little compressor, and then the sprayer. Uh, and I, I imagine you could probably make the whole thing yourself, uh, but, but it actually is, it has to come out in a sort of fine, uh, fine stream and so um, and then there's a little reservoir of course for you to stick the paint in so I imagine it's something you could make uh, but uh, you can find them around and they're they're not badly priced so that's been an that's a little interesting development I've been making cases I have cases made for all these as well and so um, that will eventually that'll that that they're done, uh, but I have to make the artwork and I have to, I'm going to paint them as well, aspects of the inside to make them look a little bit better. So those will be fundraisers. They'll, they'll probably be for, um, I just heard back the, uh, Harry Cell Leukemia Foundation. Um, they've been involved with Dave Stevens family, uh, since he passed. Uh, they actually just got back to me and they have now partnered with eBay. Uh, that took, I don't know. I took almost the better part of a year, I think, uh, or three quarters of a year, I think, for that to happen. But um, but they made it happen. They had to do some paperwork on their end, and so uh, the these auctions and stuff like that, they'll be all stuff to um, to benefit that. Uh, so the the figures and stuff like that. I have a bunch of them. I, I don't think I'll auction off all ten because some of them will be for my kids. I'll save some of them for be for other people, but I'll at least auction off a couple to. Uh, to benefit that organization because that was um, 
what uh, Dave's sister had suggested originally. That's that's where their where their fundraising efforts go because that's a, that's the uh, the illness that took Dave Stevens' uh, life, unfortunately. So um, I think I still have one more of the Lego, one or two more of the Lego ones to uh, to put up there, and so I will probably do that as well now that that process is uh, uh, straightened up, uh, straightened out. Up to now, I've done it with um, uh, for the organization Hero Initiative. And then I've done a bunch of those. Um, uh, that always is an option as well. And I think I'll do um, the remainder of them for uh, uh, the Harry, Harry Cell Leukemia Foundation. So uh, that's coming. The next thing I thought we'd talk about is actually I'm going to be doing it at the same time. So this is um, a little figure that I had made. And it's a, uh, it's a little figurine, actually. It's um, uh, Logan from the 13th Hour that I cast in resin. I used a, a kind of resin that's clear. I don't exactly know what kind it is. It's a kind I got at Michael's. Uh, it's clear. It's a little bit difficult to work with. Um, I find the other kinds that I typically use are easier, but this is clear. It's different than the other kind I've used. What ended up happening with it is that when it was all said and done, there's some areas when you take it out, they have what's called like flashing, which is there's like uh, areas that need to be trimmed and some that actually need to be filed away. And so what ends up happening there is that because you end up doing that, you end up um, creating an area that later needs to be buffed out because this is clear. It's clear resin, so it actually comes across clear. And so that's very visible when you try to buff it out. You'll create like a scuff mark, basically. You can do it, but because there's so many crevices and things like that, it's actually kind of, I found it actually quite difficult to buff out with like a buffing Dremel type thing. So there is another, oppor- there's another way to do this, which is to actually heat the figure up in warm water and, and the figure will get soft and then you can quite easily trim stuff away. And so I thought we'd do that. So I'm gonna actually get a couple of supplies here and uh, and we're gonna do that right now. So for this, you actually want a new blade, X-Acto knife, and a new blade if you can get it. So I'm gonna get one of those, and X-Acto knife, and then it probably would help to have something you can hold it with. So uh, either a vise or something like that. So I'll be back in just a second. Okay, so what I have here is I have uh, the figure and some hot water. I have a area to cut on. It's a cutting board actually. I'm doing this in the kitchen. And what I'm gonna do actually is wait until it gets very soft and I've let the figure soak a little bit and cutting away slowly areas that are, are excess. The hard thing is that you wanna do this because this figure is so small, you wanna make sure to do this, or I wanna make sure to do this, not to cut myself. What I'm doing with X-Acto knives is a, um, a bit of a mixed bag, so it is very easy. You want a sharp knife. You definitely want something that's sharp because um, a dull knife sometimes intuitively seems like it'll be safer, but it is not. You want something that is sharp because a, a sharp one is less like a lot less likely to actually slip and cut you than a, uh, a dull one. What I'm doing is be, I'm taking advantage of the fact that this resin actually gets soft when it is warm. And uh, I'm using hot water to do that. I could actually probably, use, you probably could use a heat gun. I, f- I feel like the heat gun is so unpredictable. It's so hot, it's so concentrated that it is a little bit harder to use. But warm water, 
you know, or hot water in this case. I, I he heated up a, a cup in the microwave uh, of water for about a minute and that worked fine. So this will hopefully allow me to make the, to trim the edges a little bit more easily without actually having to sand as much, just sort of slicing stuff down taking advantage of the uh, the properties of the uh, the resin when it is warm. It's actually a lot easier to do this this way than to fiddle with using a Dremel or an engraving tool or something like that. And uh, assuming you can do it safely, I think it actually would work pretty well. What you want to make sure not to do, of course, is take off too much in your hurry to get it done. Okay, letting that soak a little bit more. There are some areas here that, some areas here that are, uh, a little more stubborn. There we go. Okay. Because the figure is slippery, it's wet and slippery. I'm just taking some caution so I don't also slip with the knife. But I think if you do that, I think you'll be okay. Let's soak a little bit more. And I probably will still have to do some additional cleanup. That's okay. But I think this takes, makes the, there be less. Less cleanup is always, is always good. Did quite a bit there. As with all things, you want to make it easier on yourself. And so using the hot water, sticking the, fi the figure in until it is soft, it's easy to cut, where you don't have to force the knife down as much, really does help. Especially since it is so easy to go a little bit too far and then cut yourself or whatever, or just cut off too much of the figure. I feel like there's one area right here that's a little bit more stubborn. don't know if I'll be able to get out. One of the advantages, I think, of using the, um, the Dremel approach is that it's really pretty safe it's uh it's really easy to slip with a knife but um it's a little harder to use it's a little harder to have a figure that's feels fully done with that because you have to as i mentioned before you gotta you gotta do some post-production it kind of goes without saying that you obviously want to when you're cutting you want to cut away from yourself but you want to cut in such a way that if the blade slips then it's gonna not hit something else <laughs> Sometimes you'll make a finger or something like that, you know, because it will slip sometimes. That's just inevitable. But you want to support what you're cutting in such a way that it's not going to be quite as, like there's some room for error. I want to build in room for error. That might be as much as I can really do with it. There are some gloves out there I think you can get that are protective. They're, they're good for like working with glass and things like that. I think people like those seen people use them when they're repairing phones and things like that. Okay, that looks pretty good. There's some areas in here that are, you can really only get in there with a, a Dremel or something like that because it's round. I think we got about as far as we can go with this. I'm pretty happy with how that looks. Okay, all right, so that's, uh, that's something you can do with certain kinds of resin that, is, that are... Um, that soften when it uh, just dumped out the water. It soften when the uh, when it gets hot, and uh, the hot water method uh, has has worked pretty well for me a number of occasions. So I thought I'd just give voice to that a little bit. That's one other area right here. So I think I'm gonna do a couple last minute cleanup things on this little figure, and then um, I will show it. Well, I forgot to say, you know, what I forgot to do. I forgot to take a picture before what it looked like, but I'll show the after effect. All right. So, hey, thank you for listening. Check out the things in the show notes. 
And uh, you can look for, uh, let's see, a couple episodes before the year ends. We're going to be doing one on gremlins uh, with my brother. And uh, that's for, that's that'll, be like, that'll basically be like the Christmas episode. So look for those things in the, uh, in the coming weeks. Hey, take care. I will talk to you guys in the future. Hey, a couple last minute things before you go. Thanks for listening to this show. If you liked it, you can find many more on the website 13thhr.wordpress.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can often find behind the scenes information about this show and other things that I do on social media, such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll see links to those in the show notes. Sometimes people will ask me, how can I help contribute to the show or other things that, that I do? And probably one of the easiest ways is by going over to Facebook and looking up the Facebook group called 13th Hour Arts. And it's a place for not only to discuss these kinds of things, but also for you to share your own creative process and the things that you're doing that bring meaning to your life. You can also do things that are entirely free, such as leaving a review for a book, music, this particular podcast, share it with friends, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, email me, W-R-I-T-E-J-O-S-H-U-A-B-L-U-M at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your suggestions and comments. You can also leave a one-time donation over at Coffee, and that's K-O-F-I slash 13THHR. It's basically like a virtual tip jar, kind of like the sort of thing like a piano player might have at a bar or something like that. For a small amount, you can also leave a donation on a monthly basis at Patreon, and that helps bring new things to this particular show and to support future projects. And that's at 13th Hour Arts. It's also a place for patrons to share their own creative process and the things that bring inspiration and meaning to them. I hope by sharing a little bit of the creative process in this particular show, it gets people to cultivate that aspect of their own life and to remember that those things are important even if you are an adult and you may not have time for it. Hopefully by paying attention to those aspects of your own life, you can remember your own dreams and aspirations and help create a world and make a world that you want to be in. And at the end of the day, that's sort of what the 13th hour is about. So thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next week.